Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca Podcast episode, a return guest. Chad, you are one of the few, and actually the first episode was, we were just talking about this, was episode number seven, but uh, we are joined yet again by Chad de Blasio. Thank you for hanging out with us at the Boca Podcast. What's up, man? Uh, It's been a while. (laughs) It has been a while. We actually got to see each other united just a couple of weeks ago, but... Yeah, that first podcast episode was probably close to three years ago. Yeah, it was kind of a, I'm not sure if this is going to be a thing thing. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Yeah, we were we were talking about this off air, but um, when I recorded the episode, and actually when I first started the podcast, the goal was to create a format that was very conversational in nature, kind of almost like Tim Ferriss' podcast meets Joe Rogan kind of situation. And yeah. of course, for those of you who don't regularly listen to podcasts, you can look those up and get a, a rough idea of what I'm referencing. But Joe Rogan in particular, I still find a lot of inspiration from. He can sit for two, three hours and have conversation that is entertaining. It's funny. It can be touching and certainly mm-hmm. educational. And he's a, I mean, he's a self-admitted jock, essentially. You know, like he, he just knows how to sit and have a conversation and ask questions because he's genuinely curious. And it generates these really interesting podcasts. I tried that yeah. format for a little while. And what I realized is that the final product wasn't as ultimately valuable i didn't feel for the industry we have limited amounts of times limited amount of time as photography business owners and i wanted to make sure that i was adding value with really every episode if there was a bit of entertainment factor that's great but i wanted to make sure we're adding (laughs) value so ultimately i I went the direction of an outline which i've kind of broken the fourth wall multiple times now and referenced but um, an outline that gives us direction in the conversation that makes it a lot easier for people to listen to it helps those who are not used to teaching or speaking or being on a podcast so here we are, yeah. 300 plus episodes later. I know, right? And it's crazy. Um, I think we're just going to jump in because I know we've got a lot to cover. And the first, actually, the first question is one that we ask quite a bit. We actually spent a lot of time talking about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have even talked about this idea before off air, but photography business brand position. And, and actually, we should give some context. I'm so bad about not introducing our guests, but <laughs> you're based in what Ohio market? Um, Central Ohio. So we're right east of Columbus by probably 30 minutes. Okay. So in, in that market itself, what is your brand position? How does, how do you create separation between or distinction, I should say, between your photography business and those around you? Well, and you and I had talked quite a bit about this and and kind of narrowed down between what has always been kind of my brand statement is your life exactly how you pictured it. It's kind of cliche and funny as a, as a photography thing, but capturing the moments that you'll cherish forever and giving people ways to do that. So that's going to require more explanation, but that's kind of the, what separates us from every other photographer is not just taking pretty pictures, but helping you connect with those uh, moments that matter. And then giving you ways to touch those throughout the rest of your life with artwork. 
Yeah. So an interesting thing about brand position, and honestly, I'm still kind of refining my understanding of the idea of brand position as we go, but an interesting uh, idea behind brand position, it's not just about having or offering a unique service and being able to communicate that effectively. It's also about being the only one or one of the first ones to say that thing, to have that particular message. So mm-hmm. this is this is the current scenario, I think, with your business and that you're doing something which is capturing or understanding what is significant to the client, figuring out how to most effectively capture that story, and, and that then ends up being the final product. There are other mm-hmm. photographers who do this, but not many of them talk about it, I think, quite the way that you do. So, I, yeah, you referenced context to this. Will you give all of our listeners context to the idea? Yeah. So I think one of the things that I realized early on in sales in general was people are willing to spend money on something that they think is important. If they are willing to spend, they're willing to spend more money on something that they think is important. So to make that differentiation between something that is important, what I found was with wedding photography, it was kind of easier because weddings are one of those things. It's like everybody generally agrees they're important, right? It's not like it's harder to find someone who's like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Most (laughs) generally people are like, oh yeah, weddings are important. It's a big deal. My thought was, well, if photos, if photography and the art that we create from it is, is the point, then we should be able to make everyday common life experiences worth spending thousands of dollars on. Um, And so that was kind of the, what, what led me down this path of trying to figure out what that was, was looking at people's everyday life and thinking, what does photography actually offer them? other than just like capturing memories that they'll treasure someday in life. Um, and, and it was odd. I didn't know at the point when I said your life, exactly how you pictured it, how full the meaning of that was. And what I felt like it conveyed that it even conveys now to a more full degree was not just the life that you had always pictured of like what you think is possible or what you hope for yourself, but the life that you pictured is exactly like the kind of life that you wanted to live. Um, and so giving people photographs that connect with the pieces and parts of their lives that make them happy that they're alive and then translating those into artwork that is in a big way visually and and emotionally impacting them as often as they see it. Okay. So that, that makes sense. And I mean, this interestingly enough ties into what we're going to get to later in our conversation about how you generated $20,000 in a month, which... Yeah. is as a photographer that is a massive stretch for most even those who've been in business yeah. uh, for a while it's a, it's a really big sure. number i have to say the title is a bit tongue in cheek because i know that it's such a cliche <laughs> thing these days to do to to put some kind of clickbaity title like that out there um but th- this actually has some legitimacy to it and we're going to actually talk sure. about how you were able to generate that kind of revenue in your business but it is tied yeah. to this this brand a position and Absolutely. ultimately your your mission behind your brand and, and we'll we'll tie that all together a bit more in just a little bit but let's you let's, just wait <laughs> yes coming soon but um, more later but talk to me about and by the way for those of you listening in if you didn't listen to episode number seven of the Boca podcast with Chad de Blasio Scroll all the way back all, a lot of <laughs> clicks back yeah we will link to that actually in the show notes at bocapodcast.com but um, even if you did this is going to be a slightly different format so you may learn something new talk to us about one of the most important lessons that you've learned as a photography business owner so far I think the 
most important lesson in general that I have learned as a business owner is, is what actually matters. When we look at selling things, there's a, there's a definition that I use a lot that I actually learned from a guy that has an incredible podcast called Biblical Secrets. His name is Myron Golden. He, saw, he wrote a book called From the Trash Man to the Cash Man. But he says this definition about selling is it's not convincing someone of something. Selling is persuading someone of something that you're already convinced of, mm. but for their own reasons. Hmm. So it really puts a different understanding of what it is we're doing when we're selling. And so the idea of what I do as a business is I provide someone with a product that is important to me. And that's the reason I'm passionate about pressing it into the world. But the transition happens in helping them make it like important to them for their own reasons. So I have a vehicle, which is photography. Photography offers them a service. What the service does for them is the most important things of their life, right? So I think there's value in all kinds of different ways of presenting that. And a lot of the ways that we're taught in a photography industry is to present like my value and what I do for you, which is awesome. But what I realize is people and most people are only willing to trade you a specific amount of their money. And that is very tightly tied to how much of it that they have free or available in their opinion of what it's worth to trade. Right. Yeah. This reminds me of that, that concept that, Donald Miller talks about in building a story brand, which is mm-hmm. all these companies, and, and I've certainly been guilty of it. All these companies talk about themselves, what they do, what they're going to sure. give the client. The reality is it's more impactful if you talk about how you're going to make them the hero. And if they're sure. going to be the hero, then it's got to be about their story. And yeah. that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. And that's kind of, that is the basis of it is what I do as an artist magnifies the value of their story. Yeah. If what I do as an artist magnifies the value of my importance, it there is a way to build and lots of brands have built brands that way, but ultimately what you do is you weed out pretty much the middle part of all markets and you're only left with the people who have more free money to exchange for more expensive things. And what I found is that people who quote unquote didn't have the money to spend on things they were spending the money that they had or that they would have, they would take out credit. They would kind of press themselves to get something if they found it important. And that kind of what they found important was varied, but there was a lot of things in that market that people would spend on. And one of the things that it's a really easy example is I always say, you know, people who don't have money, quote unquote, you know, air quotes, you can't see it, but people who don't have any money, are still walking around with a $1,500 cell phone. And it's <laughs> yeah. not because they're, it's not because they're, they're just gluttons for punishment or they love to overextend themselves. It's because the company that produces that created a significant value, uh, created a desire and a way that that desire or the, the value that they had as a company benefited that client. Yes. And then the people who sell it made it accessible. And that's really the only thing that happened. And that's, you know, so that's, you look at like, would people spend it? Well, of course they would, if those two things existed if they valued it enough to want to trade their money for it and they had a way to make it accessible for where they were currently. Yeah. But it's all about the, the other person's story. You know, it, it, this is, it's funny. I was in the gym this morning and I saw a headline about Kanye who you know, has all kinds of press right now with yeah. uh, this album that he released recently, Jesus is King. But the headline was something like uh, Kanye says that he is uh, the most incredible artist that God has ever created. And, and I'm, I'm like, and when I hear you talking about how we're making it about us, our brand, instead of about the client, it, it seems 
very much like that, where Kanye, he's making such a big impact. Whether you agree with the thought process, whether you agree with the philosophy sure. behind the album or anything else, he's making a, a big splash right now. But way to make it about him and kind of kill maybe some of that momentum by now highlighting how he's God's gift to the world. That, that seems to kind of kill the... Well, it w- and it was funny. I, I watched that interview. It was kind of like he said it kind of tongue-in-cheek of like, you know, he's always been known as being kind of brash. Oh, and, sure. Um, but he was like, you know, but God's using one of the best tools he's ever made. But now the cool part is, is like, I'm using it for a better purpose. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where it, I this plays huge into my ideas of like what artists are even for or like what the blessing of the artist's mind and the way that we perceive the world can be used to do. And it's like, we can use it to do all kinds of stuff. And he had tons of people following him. He made billions proclaiming himself and pushing himself to the top, right? Yeah. But ultimately, even that, if you break that down, people bought albums that Kanye produced and Kanye sold because when they listened to it, it made them happy. Yes. It wasn't because they were trying to support Kanye. Yep. Yep. That's interesting. Although it does, I mean, the the support, the desire for support uh, or to support him I think ultimately, I mean, it, it, it does exist, but I think the stronger sure. support comes from the people, like, as you say, who benefited from that album, right. who it touched them personally in some form or fashion. Um, it's a so, byproduct. Yeah, that's a that's a really great reminder. Okay, very cool. So when you say, I mean, the very beginning, your answer was what you've learned what actually matters. More specifically, you're talking about what actually matters to sales. What actually matters to, so every sales transaction is, in my mind, is a very simple thing is I'm willing to trade you my money in order to have what you want or what you, what you make, what you have. So it's like, whether that is like, I think like real simple things, like if you have a lemonade stand and you charge a dollar for it, if you can get a dollar for that glass, you know, the cup of lemonade, the person giving you the dollar is willing to trade you that money in order to have what you're giving them. That's the very basis of it. Right? So I realized that in the, in the game of sales, to offer someone tremendous value, it has to be tied more to them than it is to me. Hmm. So I started looking at what I do as a vehicle for them to connect deeply with something that's important to their life. Yeah. And it's not, and it honestly, the coolest part was realizing it's not an emotional like sway. It's like it, what it's allowed me to do is to really look deeper into people's lives and realize like, I think everybody feels this way. Like everybody wants to have things to, to recognize that what they're doing is important and is meaningful. And the coolest part for me was in my own life, looking at like the normal, what I would call like humdrum everyday life stuff and realizing those are the true keys to why I'm happy. Like those pieces and parts, you know, for me, like little things like putting my kids to bed and holding my daughter's hand. And she like reaches down and says like, daddy, hold my hand. Like I know to her, it could be something that is just a thing or if I make it important, it can be something that is going to be important our whole lives. And that was the difference maker was it wasn't that the things were important. It was the emphasis that I put on them. And so kind of my personal journey of like understanding why I was depressed or sad or, you know, anxious about a lot of things is like, things are just whatever we decide they are. And not like in a write your own story kind of a way, but like what you focus on is what, what becomes important. And that's true, whether what you focus on is negative or what you focus on is positive. You know, when you focus on your nutrition and healthcare, you start to realize like all the crap you ate. (laughs) Well, when you're not thinking about it, when you're not charting your food, you don't really notice you're like, you probably end the week and think like, I did all right, but you actually didn't. And the only way you notice is if you kind of look at it very intently. 
So it's, it's that kind of stuff that I started realizing with my, you know, with my business, everyday normal stuff for people's lives could be everyday normal stuff. And the only thing that they would have to look forward to is like that one week when they got a vacation or like the one time when they got something special, like a wedding or a graduation. But I was like, what if they just, what if, how different would their life be if like normal everyday stuff got elevated? Would it be like this 24 hour period was really much more enjoyable than it could have been? And what would be the difference for that is really just the recognition of it, not necessarily anything special happened. Hmm. Yeah. What actually matters dot, dot, dot to the client um, yeah. on a very simple level is, is what we're on talking a very about. simple level. Yeah. yeah. On an on everyday life level does what we do, make it, make their life better. Can we make every simple act of their life? And it's not about making everything amazing, but in a very real way, what could your daily work life look like if you just, we're grateful for it. Hmm. And the reason you were grateful for it was because of what you, what it provided you. And if the way that you were grateful for it was you had something in your face, whether that's a tattoo or a piece of artwork or a piece of clothing, or maybe the car you drive or whatever, that was symbolic to you in a big way. And usually big ways mean we put a lot of effort and money into them that reminded you to stay centered in that way. How would that change your daily life? And that's kind of, you know, Looking at life from that aspect is I realized vehicles like photography or arts in general have such a dramatic impact on like our person as a whole, our psychology or, you know, the things that we frame spiritually, emotionally, how we react to the daily world around us. The arts impact those areas, I would say more dramatically than any other area. So yeah, it was, it was like realizing that about the business that I have and the, and the artwork that I can create with people, it doesn't have to be, it could just be normal stuff. And I did that for a long time. But what I realized was to really tap into the financial depth of what they wanted to invest in, I had to give them more. And it wasn't, and in my understanding of more, it wasn't more that someone else could create with them more as in like, Oh, I can get a nicer album or I can get bigger wall art pieces, or I can offer them like a more luxurious wrapping piece. You know, it's like I, I try to take away from those commodity kind of things that are just priced based on prices and dig into more of like what actually what value actually matters to people. Like, what do they actually care about? Yep. Well, you know what? There might be an opportunity if you'd be willing at some point. Maybe we can kind of come back to this as a topic in and of itself and talk about how you do approach yeah. each of these sessions. Maybe be a couple parter where we talk about yeah. the sales sales session too, but um, we'll, we'll touch on that another time. I, it, it's such a yeah. loaded topic. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know me, if you start me, start talking about something, we can talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> this we can. And, and actually um, it may, maybe some of our listeners know this, but Chad and I have been friends for a while. We've actually been on multiple motorcycle trips together, riding very large um, at times, loud motorcycles with our significant others at times, <laughs> sometimes just the two of us. We've, we've kind of been all over the place. It's been pretty cool. But yeah, to that point, time, uh, you just, you were just talking to me about a trip that you took with your family, uh, for a while mm -hmm. after the United conference that you and I were both at, how do yeah. you have time to do that, to go on motorcycle trips and to do all the things, all the fun things that you do outside mm -hmm. of just work and simultaneously have family life and run a business? Yeah. How do you, how do you balance this? And are there a couple of ideas that play into that? The significant lessons I've learned about my business have come from the most simple things. And I think a lot of times people listen to podcasts and they're looking for like the, you know, the magic bullet that's going to be like, oh, this is going to change everything. Well, I will say that what changed everything for me in my whole life was doing this. 
what actually matters to me? What does that mean? What does that mean for my daily life as to far as to where I'm going to aim that effort? You know, where am I going to put my effort that's going to basically give me the most return for the things that I care about? Changing my life direction into the things that this is the life that I want and the things that I care about. And here's the reasons why I care about them. And here's the ways that we're going to go about on a weekly basis trying to make these things work. Um, Shifted my entire business. And honestly, it like opened this weird floodgate of like income but also in my own personal life of like wealth of like happiness. And I don't know how to say it any other way. And it's not like I'm trying to, I'm not trying to like play into this, you know, everybody's all being about being happy, but like there's a fullness to my life now that didn't exist prior to maybe the last five years. It was kind of building up to this, but really it came from that focus of direction of what do I want? What do I want out of my life? If I'm going to look at my life and my business and say it was a success, here's the determining factors for that. Mm. Not just was I able to make $100,000 a year, like what did I have to do to get the $100,000? And I think, I don't know what gave me that permission from being very early on. You know, maybe it was growing up kind of middle class or lower income. Maybe it was this idea that like you can kind of dictate your own world. My parents were kind of both artists. My stepdad is an entrepreneur. Like there was, I'm surrounded by what I would consider kind of influential leaders in my life that kind of ran their own lives is... I was determined and have sought out and invested lots and lots of money in trying to figure out how to do that with my own life. Because what I started realizing is when I do those things with my own life, when I have my, my morning formula and I use it as a reference point regularly, and then on top of that, I come back to it and say, how have I been doing? How did this week go in, in view of my goals for my world and my business and how it's influencing people is I stopped worrying about making money because I really, my business took on a bigger purpose and it's making impact in people's world. Well, the weird thing was, is when we started making more impact and we started giving them things that made more influence in their life and made their daily life better, they wanted to spend more money on it and we started making more income. But it's like that piece. What am I doing with my life and how am I judging success? What does that look like? What are the components of that? How am I going to get those? And then checking back with that, that determiner of like, is my life going the way I want it to is like the number one feeder for happiness. Yeah. And most people on, are on the other side of that feeling like they're not happy, but they don't really know why, you know what I mean? Like from a business perspective, we call it profit and loss, right? You look at like every component of the business and like, what's, what's my lead sources? What are, what are the things that are bringing the most revenue? What are the sales? What are the items that I'm selling the most of? And it makes total sense because of course, if it's just metrics, if you have metrics, you can pick apart the data and reverse engineer it. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of the problem of the conversation, though, when it comes to personal happiness has to do with the fact that a lot, if not most people, at least in American culture these days, treat it as this arbitrary idea that they're going to somehow land on versus sure. realizing that they can take responsibility it's, for and create it. Um, and it's, yeah. just, it's a vastly, vastly different, uh, it's just a significantly different mindset when you're looking at the idea of happiness. The moment that yeah. you realize taking responsibility for it um, enables you to create it, then yeah. it, it, your world changes. But I, I, I was taking notes as you were writing, and yeah. really there are two key questions here. What matters to me? And then how does that, um, how does that affect my daily life, the way that I'm spending uh, my time yeah. on a daily basis? Because if you are very clear about what matters to you, 
then that should literally filter out anything irrelevant it and doesn't. enable you to focus on that stuff that is going to give you those those big picture goals like we talk about so much here. Right. And it seems simplistic. And like I said, people want a magic bullet that's like, oh, this is the key to my happiness or this. Uh, but the weird thing is like when you're doing that in your personal life yeah. is you're able to do the exact same thing and kind of build out this avatar with your build, your business is yeah. like, how does, how does what I offer people as a person in this world of business mm-hmm. How does that benefit them? And how do we take that and translate that through the vehicle of our business? Sure. Is it what it does more than anything? And I, I feel a hundred percent confident in telling people this, like I have more peace in my heart and more free time, more freedom to think because of the ways that things have become so simplified in these aspects, right? When I know what the biggest purpose of my business is, I can kind of funnel everything through that. It makes choices like, how are we going to market this week or how are we going to reach our audience or how are we going to bring in new business or what are we going to do once we get that business or, you know what I mean? It's like when my, when my filter is like, why do people like getting together for the holidays? It's a very different way of thinking and a very different creative process versus like, how are we going to get people to come in for Christmas photos? Right. (laughs) It's just, it's the same. You're doing the same thing. It's just, you're going about it very differently. One of them requires you to create a bunch of new stuff. The other one requires you basically to like filter through what you think is the most important thing. Yeah. Well, then letting that drive how you spend your time and how you approach your business. That that's so important. You know, you also mentioned too, that people listen to podcasts for a magic bullet and and you're right. I mean, this reminds me of Gary Vaynerchuk who uh, I, I still find, in fact, I was, I hadn't consumed his content really for a while. I was looking at it or listening to it a little bit this morning while I was at the gym, uh, on the, on one of the machines and you know, it's his, the principles that he shares, there's probably like five of them. And yet mm-hmm. he's got endless hours and hours and hours and hours of content. But one of the things he said in right. the past is listen, but then go do like go stop, yeah. stop consuming and just go do. And the reality is there are a few principles in life that if we actually live out consistently will enable us to create an incredible life. There isn't, and we could call those magic bullets. Actually, if we're looking for the sure. magic bullet, sure. do the simple yeah, things and simple. do them consistently. Um, right. But this is certainly one of them. And that is understand what it is that you're trying to achieve on a personal level with your life. Let that direct how you spend your time daily including that business model that you create. And as a result, the target client that you go after, and you're going to be in a much, much better place. Well, and then you asked how I had time to do things like family. Well, so it's very easy. Had I looked at my schedule, it would have been like, ah, we're actually really busy and it's going to be expensive to do this. But the driving factor of what we do with our family time is that we're creating it. We are are diligent about creating an environment where our kids, number one, feel free to like explore their lives and and figure things out, which also encourages them to make mistakes and screw up, which also gives them like an understanding that like they are capable. And I think the reasons that we have been so diligent about that is because I think those are the, the opposite reasons of why a lot of the times we end up like depressed and anxious is like, they don't feel responsible for their lives or they don't feel capable for like putting out their own, you know, their own kind of view and, and standards for the world. And like, and then they, they're constantly weighing almost subconsciously. They don't realize it. They're weighing what their life looks like versus what it's quote unquote supposed to look like, which brings about like massive anxiety and massive depression. And so we're looking at taking the girls out and we're like, well, if these are the goals for our family and for our life, what can we do in this trip? How can we use this trip to kind of reinforce those things to also just like play and give them freedom, especially these two of our family to just 
be happy and enjoy life and breathing and farting in an RV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which was a really comical thing that happened is like, you know, just things that I recognize are so important to, I don't know. I try to not live my life. Like I have a hundred years. I try to live my life. Like maybe I only have another hundred days or a hundred minutes. I don't know. But regardless of what I do, I'm going to live these standards out because they're the most important things in my life. Whether I get 10 more years or 10,000 more years, you know, is that those kind of things drive our decisions. So then we make plans to that go kind of go along with those things. And like I said, making decisions is really hard when you're just like, I don't know. But then you start to put those, those decisions through like filters. Here's the filters that are important. Okay. So you're going to design wall art. Do you want one piece or do you want five pieces? Well, do, what do the five pieces say to you? Is this part of a story or is this a moment in the story? If it's a moment in the story, then one piece is going to be significant and we need to have it big and in focus. If it's a part of the story and the, you have like the header and the adjectives, we need a collection. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it helps make choices a whole lot easier because we've kind of simplified the driving factors and creating no, I mean, we don't have free time. It's not like we're just like, oh, we have so much free time. It's just dictated, you know, like how you go to the gym. Mm -hmm. How do you have time to go to the gym, Nathan? You're a busy dad who runs businesses. Well, because you make it a priority right. yeah. and then you fit it into your schedule because of the reasons that it exists. Yeah, that's a cool way to frame it. I like that a lot, actually. T talk to me. You you mentioned podcasts, but, you know, books actually, I think, kind of fall under this in this sure. realm of conversation too. In fact, I've, I've backed off. Um, I am still reading, but I've backed off in the amount that I am reading because what I realized is I've read enough um, mm -hmm. really good material that if I just focus on that material, actually putting it into practice in my life, I'll be, I'll be yeah. set. Right. So yeah. um, I, I, if you I could love, just, if you could just do the things you've probably already learned, yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't have to learn anything and yet. doing them consistently. I mean, that's one of the things that's yeah. been, um, that a weakness of mine that I'm, I, I'm working on improving, but regardless, I, I would still ask you, what is one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've read uh, in the last few years? I, so I have two, and I know it's probably going to be cliche for people who are like, oh, of course, the Bible, you're supposed to say the Bible. But I find wisdom in books like that, that go beyond the idea that like, okay, here's what you're supposed to do because it's someone thought it was a good idea. Sure. Um, I happen to believe that in all things in our world, there is a design. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a thing that makes sense. And so that book combined with a book called uh, Psycho-Cybernetics, which I think I introduced you to, is called uh, is by Maxwell Maltz. Yeah. is like he was kind of the father of a lot of these kind of thought patterns of how we think. But the interesting thing is even he talks about creative, our design, like our, our design, the way we were put together. It makes sense because of this design and the way that our brains kind of think. And so I think I tried to, I stopped trying to figure out like, why some of this stuff exists. Um, why does my brain work this way? Why do, why am I so intent on finding like every single detail of every single thing and kind of drawing it out? Like, and just started saying like, okay, so if this is true, if this exists in my brain, how can I use it to be a benefit to my life? You know what I mean? Like I, in my talk at, at United, I said like, was the cancer the worst thing that ever happened to you? Or was it like the most perfect, like poignant moment that allowed you to focus on what you actually cared about? Because you may not be alive tomorrow. You know, it's, it was this idea of like how we use the creative mechanism that we have and what are the keys and components? He was a, Maxwell Maltz was a, a, a plastic surgeon who became a psychiatrist because he started realizing like you could fix people's faces and there's still a problem. So there's mm. obviously something wrong with 
something else. Wow. And he said some people who had had like a traumatic experience that had kind of disfigured them, the disfigurement caused them to think of themselves differently. And so allowing them to be kind of restored to this version of themselves that they envisioned allowed them to have wholeness again. A lot of people didn't have wholeness because they thought of themselves kind of as broken. So fixing the physical imperfections didn't fix the reasons they were unhappy. Right. It was their thoughts processes and realizing like just how simplistic some of that stuff is. They've just, I feel like uh, that book is one of those books. Like you said, like I go back and read chapters and pieces. Um, and then I read books, you know, like um, uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck like that or an F maybe I should say that <laughs> you're totally fine <laughs> is that book is it's based on the same kind of principles yeah. is how do you only care about the things that you care about and how do you give yourself permission and a way to do that in a way that like every day of your life can be as happy or as miserable as you want it to yeah. be. And just feel, and again, and, like we were talking about earlier, filtering out the irrelevant stuff. Yeah. And basically kind of, and that's, and that's the process we do with our business is we're not creating something, which I think is unique to think about artists that aren't creating something. We're not making something. And I tell clients this all the time. I'm not going to make something there that doesn't exist because that gives you some kind of weird responsibility of like becoming awesome. And like the crazy thing is you're already way more awesome than you ever give yourself credit for. And if we can kind of peel back some of the the kind of distracted layers, what you'll find is the life that you have is the life that you had always dreamed about having in parts. And if we can help accentuate those parts, you'll probably have more of those parts. You'll probably have more things that you start to put into those parts or put effort into. But a lot of people just don't know, like I think just don't know what to do or how to do it. And so they don't. And that's those books have helped me really reframe and kind of understand what it is and how to do it that I love about being alive and, and why that matters to me and how to use my personality to kind of like highlight those things, which I think is what arts do. They're, they're magnifiers. Well, th this is where I would normally say I'll link to these books in the show notes. I think everybody can find a Bible somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then psycho, psycho cybernetic sounds like a book. That's like, what the hell is that? Oh, I know. And I was, I was kind of laughing earlier. Cause I'm thinking, man, if we couldn't it's pick the worst two, title, <laughs> two, two more polarizing books who the Bible and psycho cybernetics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll certainly link to that in the show notes as well. Sure. Um, it is, it is actually pretty intriguing. I had the chance to look it up on Amazon and I'm, I'm, you've got me curious. So, yeah. Uh, well, even books like we had talked about, like the Michael Singer's book, the um, Untethered, Untethered Soul, Soul. Yeah. it has very similar kind of thought patterns and realizing that the way that you think and the ways that you think about the ways that you think mm -hmm. make a big difference in how you react, but also just that, like, I think of it like as a settling, like a thing in my heart that just kind of like, there's like a weight that just kind of hangs there. And sometimes it feels very effortless and, and easy. And sometimes it feels like it's crushing my chest. Like what's the difference? Because the weight doesn't really ever change. You know what I mean? It really, it's all about how we think about a lot of those things and looking into business books, you know, like mindset uh, secrets of the world class and those kind of things is like, you'll start to realize like Dean Graziosi millionaire mindsets is like the, the thing that separates most people is not opportunity or skill levels. It's how they think. So if that's true, that's something everyone has control over regardless of their income level or right. education level or, you know, opportunity in life. Hmm. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. 
talk to me about uh, photography just briefly because now, well, I guess we're going to, we're going to talk about photography and how that relates to, to the revenue that you generate. But uh, sure. this has been kind of a fun question that we, that we ask on a regular basis. What's an unusual item uh, or what you might consider an unusual item in your camera bag that lets you be, or enables you to be a better photographer outside of a camera lens flash. Uh, do you, does something come to mind? So I keep this giant crystal um, prism in my in my in my photography bag. Okay, I have a really really simplified photography bag, and I'm probably like I'm the photographer that like other photography gear people like hate because I've even I've written several articles about like gear acquisition syndrome, which I call gas. Is like we have (laughs) we have serious issues because the problem is when you don't have the value placed in the right place, you start to realize or think that getting better at taking pictures is going to to highlight some area that you're like, Oh, I've gotten to this piece and now I can charge more, Yeah, which is partially true, but it's, there's a very low ceiling, but that's one of those things. that's like, I love it because it makes everybody who sees it go, what the hell is that guy doing? (laughs) Or my cell phone. I use my cell phone for the same thing as I kind of reflect or refract light back into the lens. Um, I like photos that have a little bit of kind of that, artistic weirdness to them. And as much as like, I love the editorial vibe, um, a lot of times in life, the things that we remember kind of have these fuzzy warm edges. And I think sometimes my favorite pictures look like that. They're slightly out of focus or there's like this slightly blurry part because it's like, it's like remembering a really good memory is it's kind of warm and fuzzy and the details are there, but they're not super crisp. Yeah, that's an interesting um, way to put it. It, it. And it's funny, too, because you think about, I don't know if you remember when digital cameras came out, how everything was just like uber, uber crisp. Sharp. Yeah. Just, and, and then printers, I mean, at least our local printer here, didn't know. And I, I think they were in, in a similar company with other print printers, didn't know how to print it. And so yeah. the, the final product looked plasticky and, and just yeah. really, really, really Sterile. weird. But ultimately the idea that a memory is a little bit soft around the edge is a little bit fuzzy. That that's, yeah. I mean, you see this kind of depicted in movies sometimes too, right? Yeah. 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 I've had, I've had pictures that I've taken that we've printed and I'm like, I, I will say that about them. It's like it, this is kind of how I remember it, like how it felt. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, so I love, like, I think, photographers take a lot of pictures like this, you know, it's like, you'll see the veil shots. It's like, they're kind of enraptured in a veil of blurry white fuzziness. And then there's like this crisp two people in the middle of it, you know, it's like, they're always visually very intriguing. Um, so I use that at weddings a lot of times to like block weird guests out or like an exit sign or something. I'll put it kind of in the corner of my lens and bounce light back. I'll also like mirror things back into it. But the reason I love it, is partially because it's cool and does really cool stuff with the photos, but it's also partially because everybody looks at it and goes, what the hell is he doing? Like, what is that? Um, and I <laughs> yeah. get, and it kind of plays into this, like your life is really cool. If you could just see it, like I see it, you know what I mean? Is like, I think that's the thing that the photography side of it is like having those little tools. And it's, and it's just like that. How do you make something that is a somewhat, you know, obscure item matter to them is like, I can talk about it and how cool I am and make me cooler because I know how to use these cool things or what I can do with my tool is, is I, you know, the photography tools that I have is like, I can highlight what you are and who you are and how cool your life is. If you could just see it a little differently or like, and what I think is like, see it a little bit more honestly. Well, and is there a particular brand a prism that you use? Um, I think it was the $12 one off of Amazon. Okay. 
All right. Well, I don't know. If you look up like Prism, I, I had a little one that was probably five or six inches long. Okay. Um, and I just kept dropping it and kept chipping and shattering. And I don't know if you know about like, you know, glass, when you chip and shatter, it gets really sharp. So every time I'd reach into my bag, it would like slice my finger open. Oh. Um, so I got this really chunky one and it's like, it's probably seven, six, it's probably seven or eight inches long, but it's like two and a half inches across. So it's a big crisp. Okay. Well, we'll find something on Amazon yeah. or maybe we can grab the link from you at some point and we'll put, put that in the show notes uh, for everybody to check out. It is, it's a really interesting, I, I never personally shot with one when I was still shooting full time, yeah. but, um, I've had the opportunity to play with one a little bit. It's a really interesting concept. So I love it the same as I love it, the multiple exposures. This is kind of does the same thing as like you can layer things in and make them look a little different than they do in real life. Not like so different that they're like, that was not real. But but oh. at, at the same time, it's interestingly relevant uh, or it is comparable to multiple exposures in that it's probably also something that you don't want to do for every single picture too, right? Just right. Or it minimizes the effect. Yeah. It makes it does get weird and it but it's like it's always I always pull it out like in every session I'll use it for something. You know what I mean? And I try to not use it even in the same way for everything. But it's a it's a neat little piece to just kind of keep in there. And with only having three lenses and a camera and a cell phone and like some gum and batteries, I don't really have much else in there. Some gum. What is your choice of gum for a wedding day? <sighs> it's always orbit. Um, like the squares, which okay. is inconvenient because the ones that they make that I like the most come in those big cups that like sit in your cup <laughs> yes. holder. So I always have like half squished pieces in like my chest pocket. Yep. And I'll pull it out and be like, yeah, it's still good. So that you don't sound like you're walking around with a shaker or something during the. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like just a giant bulge in my, in my pants pocket. <laughs> yeah. Well, talk, let's, let's actually kind of shift a little bit to the, the, primary topic at hand, if you will. Um, and, and yes, this is titled how to do $20,000 in one month. And it's, while it is tongue in cheek, it's actually, I'm, I'm dead serious. I mean, you and I were chatting a little bit, I guess maybe a few weeks ago and, um, you were, you were talking about how you kind of set this just, it was almost out of the blue as a goal. And I want to get to that motivation here in just a second, but you actually yeah. did slightly more than 20 K last month, right? Yeah. I had just a little over 20 K collected and I, I have around 26 that was sold. So I still have five or six to collect that a couple of those were a little bit larger portions that they made into what we call a three pay so okay. three payments. And was that a combination of weddings, portraits, prints? Like what? So what I had, down? yeah. So I didn't have any weddings that I shot all, all of the photographed weddings that I um, do a reveal with are like a month later. So these were two weddings that we had had photographed the prior month that we, we had set their reveal up, um, which a reveal is where they come and see their photos and we design their album with them. So two of them were weddings um, and the other eight were, were sessions. So one of them, and this is where I know the things I talk about seem kind of funny, but like we did a doggy maternity session. Seriously. Yeah. These people it's so here. I, if we got like two minutes, I can tell you this story. Yeah, man, go. So she called and was like, this may sound crazy, but we have a dog <laughs> pregnant. I have never heard of this before. Tutu. <laughs> yeah. We made it a tutu and we wanted to do photos with her pregnant. Holy, is that crazy? How did you not bust they're, out laughing right then? Well, they're people that I know. Okay. And she was like, and she called me even more. So legitimate, she legitimately called me and was like, is that weird? <laughs> And I was like, yes. And I can't <laughs> wait to take the pictures. Yeah. Um, so I, so she's tried to back out of it a little bit and I was like, sure. 
why do you want to have pictures taken? Like, why, why did you even call me? Is like one of the best questions I asked to start off with is like, what made you want to have your photos taken? Because sometimes people need permission to do the things they really want to do. And they also need a way to do it. And mm. so she had given herself permission be like she wanted to, but then she could, she kept like justifying it with other people's opinions of it and was like, no, I don't really think that's worth it. Right. So story, long story short is her husband had gotten his first dog and it was his first dog he had ever trained. He's a big, he's an avid outdoorsman, does hunting ducks and geese and, and fishing and all that stuff. He had trained this dog and it was like the pride of his life. Right. So Duke passed away on, on like just out of the blue um, at like two years old. So she said to this day, this happened several years ago to this day, he still gets kind of choked up when he talks about it. And Nate is not like one of those guys who's like real super emotional. Right. So he, it was important to him. This dog was super important to him. Well, they had had his semen frozen and they had impregnated their new dog with Duke's puppies. So she was going to be having puppies from this dog that was very important to her husband. That's and her so husband crazy. Wife. And this dog had become like his daughter's like sweetheart. So his daughter very well bonded with his dog, pregnant with his first dog's puppies. And I was like, Cher, what else do we spend our time and money on if it's not things like this? You know? So we did this session and Nate had no idea about it. We it was like 20 minutes, his daughter, the dog, a tutu, and pregnant, like laying out like, you know, big pregnant puppy. Okay. So we do these photos. There's probably 30 of them that we picked out, brought him in. We did the reveal with him. He's like on the verge of tears and getting all choked up. And he's like two of the things that I love the most in this world. And like, I didn't even know he's like, this is so awesome. I want to print these huge, like we hadn't talked to him about like anything. We hadn't talked to him about costs, but then I start looking at these things. What are things worth to people? Well, in his profession, he has trucks that cost forty to eighty thousand dollars, you know. But in his hobbies, he's got a pair of pants that cost probably four or five hundred dollars. Yeah. And the only reason he has them is so his pants don't get wet when he's hunting. You know, <laughs> he's got thousands of dollars worth of clothing that he wears specifically to do this one thing because it's he loves it and it makes right. him happy. Right. So, of course, it wasn't a big deal for them to spend a decent amount of money on things like this. Well, then he makes the suggestion in that session, hey. Gage, who's his son, is going to have one of the puppies from this litter. So in six or eight weeks, you need to come do photos with him. So we had these puppies, this pregnant puppy photos with his daughter. And now we I just did his son's photos with his puppy who he's training. His son is training to be his first hunting dog. So it's like, yeah, it sounds like one of those things that if you just look at it at surface level, it's not a thing and it could be dumb and it could just be, or I could have just taken the photos and been like, Oh, wasn't this so cute? Oh my gosh, they're so adorable. But we missed it. Right. You know, we missed the real value of it. Right. So that's another one of those things. It's like out of the blue, all of a sudden this thing became very important and it is a really cool piece for their family. And he bought pictures for Mick, who is this guy in his life. That's kind of been a dad, like father figure that he bought the business from. So it's like this whole thing is like so much bigger than I had ever thought it would be. And simply just because we asked questions about it and realized and a thought there's more importance here if we offer it. Yeah. And you know, a lot of photographers talk about how they emphasize relationships, but it, the reality is the relationships are a means to, well, ultimately multiple ends potentially, but sure. certainly getting to know a client at that depth enables you to be able to frame a session or the pictures from a wedding in a, in a whole different light. 
Yeah. And the weirdest thing is, is it happens in like 10 to 15 minutes. It's Mm. not like months and months and months of time. Yeah. It's really just a matter of like, what is the intent in going in and everything. So in our business coaching, one of the things we say a lot is like, we do everything with intention in alignment with our purpose. And those are the two filters. Is it, are we doing it on purpose and does it align with our purpose? Hmm. Because if it doesn't, then we just simply don't do it. You know, ring shots, I hate me for it. We just don't do it. We Hmm. don't do it unless a client, unless there's a story there, right? Because I'm not a jeweler and they don't really usually end up putting them in their albums because they say this, that's beautiful. Okay. See that picture of my mom. Okay. Move the one on my ring and put that there. Right. 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 It's like, and some people it is some people, the ring is a story and it's part of their story, but it's not usually it's usually focused on because of our influence in the story, not because of the clients. And like I said, though, those happen, those clients, those conversations happen in a matter of minutes, not because of the intention, not because we're like, you know, spending hours and months getting to know all these people. Right. Oh, but that's such a good reminder again, though, too, that they just stop making it about us make it about them. Um, yeah. that, that literally, I mean, it drive, it can drive so many elements of the business, including and down to picking images for, for that wedding album, even for the album. And, and I, you know, I say this too, you're welcome to, I mean, if that's what you want to do is make it and, and do this kind of stuff that you're totally fine. And there is a business for that. It's just not going to be the most rewarding. Hmm. It's not going to, it is, they're only going, people are only going to be able to trade you a specific amount of what they've predetermined their, their value of the money is worth. And, or you're going to have to find, have to find more, more people like a select market that has more of that to play with, which is, you know, however you want to do business. Totally fine. I just found that I'd rather stop looking for such a small percentage of the market and start realizing that the market that I had in front of me, everyday common, normal people were my market and they could be my ideal clients if I had a way to help them get there. And, and we've alluded to how, but we're going to get into that more depth in just a second. I am curious, though, for the sake of our listeners, what, what was your motivation to even kind of turn it up and have this type of a sales goal in a month? So it's all about the coaching that we do with people. And one of the things that I found was a very common objection in people is like, oh, I just can't do it. I don't have the time. Like, I don't have the availability or like, you know, they use they use their lack as a way to justify um, their inaction. So people use their, like they look at a bodybuilder and they say, I could never do that. And they use that as the excuse as to why they don't even go to the gym at all. Hmm. So I just, I got sick of it. Honestly, over the last year of coaching, I, my clients who have, have done coaching with us have had just like, to me, like astounding success. And by the way, you say we and us, who who are you referencing? uh, So Megan Keithan is my business partner. We do a um, coaching program called wealthy photographer, um, which is an allusion to wealth in financial gain, but also like the wealthy photographer is like prosperous life and clients that are benefiting to the max. Okay. You had these experiences coaching your clients, you know, the philosophy works, but you were also tired simultaneously of hearing others just complaining almost for complaining sake and not doing anything. So you were out to kind of prove that using this philosophy, it could be done. It was, it wasn't like at first it wasn't like a crusade. It wasn't like, I'm going to show everybody, (laughs) but I regularly hear from interviews, photographers that are coming on strategy sessions with us. Like if I could just make $5,000 a month, it would be amazing. But I know that I don't have the brand. My portfolio isn't up to par, whatever, whatever. Um, or I can't do 20 sessions in a month, but it's also kind of a, 
it's kind of a snarky way to say to me, like I, people know that I'm kind of against mini sessions is like the reason I'm against mini sessions is not because I hate mini sessions and people who don't want to spend a million dollars. It's that I think they are less in every area for our clients and more of all the things that no one wants. So this was an this was an effort to show people not only as me as a solo employee that didn't have a six month marketing campaign to build up to this it was just normal every month business how do I how much could I earn could I do twenty thousand dollars in orders in one month and also not drive myself crazy have free time to take an entire week off with my family have my weekends free to do the life that I feel is important. Is it possible to really direct your business like that? And so I just literally at the end of uh, September was like, well, I'm going to do it next month and see how it goes. And you did. And it happened and it worked. Um, So naturally we want to talk about how, and there was actually leading up to our conversation, you used the phrase values-based sales. And I think you've really set us up pretty well to understand what that phrase means at this point, but can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Um, One of the things that we talk about a lot in coaching is, is price matters absolutely zero unless it's anchored to something. So when you say, and the way that I give this example best is people are like, Oh, I don't really buy anything expensive. I'm like, okay, what does that even mean? Like your clothes that you have on, for example, let's say Nate, Nate loves black V neck (laughs) t-shirts. Yep. How does Nate ever get to a point where he's like, okay, let's say your t-shirts are $25. Let's say they're expensive and let's say they're $50. How do you ever get to the point where you say, this is not too much for this t-shirt? Well, that decision process happens in every single person with every single purchase they ever make, right? If you think that $50 is too much for a t-shirt, you will find a cheaper one. Let's say it's $15. Well, what allows you to say that it's $15 is worth trading 15 of your dollars? Well, probably however hard it is for you to get $15. If it takes you 15 or 20 minutes and that's worth you having a t-shirt that lasts you a couple months, you'll, you'll say that's a good price. What you are actually saying by saying it's a good price is I agree that the money they want me to trade for it is worth whatever effort it took me to get that money and I will trade you for it. Right? Right. So it's a very simple equation of like, what are we doing when we buy stuff and what are we doing when we sell stuff? So value-based sales means to me, giving them something that's worth more than the money they have to trade to get it. Hmm. Okay. You know what? And that's interesting because I, I had actually written down values-based sales and it almost, the, the words could in some ways be interchangeable in the context sure. of our conversation, but you're talking about value specifically. So how can I add enough value that they're willing to pay for this thing. Yeah. And so when I was doing what I would say um, is a very typical approach to photography sales was building a kind of a luxury brand. I found most people, even in the, like the luxury market between six and $800 was about their max for family pictures. So now some people would splurge a little bit, maybe spend $1,500, but I had to have a way for them to do that first, meaning like things that they could spend that much of money on but I also had to give them some reason why it was worth that much. And the value that I had put into it was it's worth that much because I am better at this than a lot of other people. And in whatever terms you wanted to describe that by, I took better pictures quality wise. They enjoyed working with me quality wise. The products that they got were incredible, but at the end of the day, 
when it was about those things, tangible things, or like, you know, I guess products, commodities, it was, it was a stretch for most people to come in the door ready or, or happy to exchange 1500 of their dollars for the thing that they were getting. Well, it's true. And I have to jump in here because you, you point something out, which is interesting. The, the idea, the idea that we argue that this thing is worth whatever the amount because sure. it's high quality is, is really a hilarious notion. In fact, I just, my son and I were watching, we were watching Netflix or watching ESPN or something. Anyway, there was a the commercial that popped up and I guess it wouldn't have been Netflix. Uh, but somewhere we saw an ad that referenced quality. The brand was mm-hmm. literally running a commercial based on quality. I'm like, this is hilarious. Like it's terrible and hilarious all at the same time. People want sure. to talk about we are, we are great or we are good or we are high quality or we are good service. And, yeah. and these things are very, very subjective, very arbitrary in nature, and they don't really have an actual definition that is accurate for everyone. So sure. the idea that we would use those as arguments for why somebody should purchase something is, is just, it's a major, major misnomer, and we're ultimately missing out because of it. Well, yeah. And for some reason, we're culturing ourselves to believe that high quality is worth paying for. But that's because you care about high quality. <laughs> Well, you know right, I mean? but, but I guess what I'm getting at is that word quality means different things to different people, right? I mean, absolutely. The, the but idea even the that, fact it, that it matters is an interesting thing, like because it doesn't matter to some people. They don't care about the quality of it. They just need it now, yeah, or they need it. It's true. Multiples yeah, it, of it, or you so, know what I'm saying? Like even that point points to it. The idea that it's all subjective, right? It's right. But com- I guess more specifically, when photographers say this is high quality, what that means to them as professional photographers sure. is totally different 98% of the time than their clients, the way that their clients Absolutely. see it. So Absolutely. again, it's a really weak point to stand on when you're trying to convince somebody why they should pay this money. Um, you run an editing house, right? Correct. So it's the same as saying like 5,200 Kelvin matters to a client more than 5,800. Right. Yes. But photographers will die on that hill. A hundred percent. And we'll leave it at, we'll, leave, we'll let that one sit for we'll a second. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? Like um, they, they will die on that hill because it matters to them, which is fine. It's totally fine. Do all those things that matter to you and then wonder why people don't want to give you more of your money or more of their money yeah. because it's not yours. And it's like, so it's kind of the same thing I was saying. I got to this point where I was like, I'm going to argue two clients and I'm going to try to justify my costs by saying things like I have, you know, lifetime guaranteed albums or we print with professional paper. Well, I can tell you from experience, they don't give a rip about professional paper. If that's what you're selling, if you're selling them paper, they're just as happy to have cheap paper because that is not a value scale for them to them. They've, they have so many other areas of their life where they're taught it's, it's good enough that if the things that they're putting on the paper don't matter more, then it doesn't matter what paper it goes on and you're fighting a losing battle. From the beginning, you're going to be priced as a commodity. Okay, so I, I want to narrow this down and kind of make it more tangible, more practical for our listeners. When we when we talk about this value-based sales approach, how did that yeah. translate then? And I know we don't have time to break down each and every client that you were working with and, and sure. got that 20K from, but two or three big ideas that our listeners can take into consideration and how that relates to bringing in that much yeah. revenue in a month. The number one thing that, that drives all of this is to understand that every single one of your clients or potential clients has something that they care that much about. Hmm. Okay. Every single one of them. So going into it, knowing there is absolute gold in their life. Sometimes that looks like a reframe. 
And what I mean by a reframe is you help them see something in their life differently by what you listen to and how you ask them questions. Sometimes it looks like a cheerleader. You come beside them and just like the woman who wanted to have her dog's pictures taken, but wasn't really like confident in it. You come beside them and you say, no, 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 this really is important. Isn't it? Here's all the reasons I think you care about it. Aren't those great reasons? I believe so too. Right? So it, as a business going into it, understanding that this is for my clients doing whatever is absolute best for my client means that I'm not going to try to force them into buying something so that I can hit my sales goal, but it also unleashes the potential that maybe they'll want to spend five grand. And I thought maybe they'd get $1,500 out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it totally does. So, like, so that number one key is, I think, going into it, understanding that there is absolute gold in their life and that the gold in their life is probably not some big, obvious thing. Okay. It's probably small, seemingly unimportant parts of their life that if you can just get down to why, I, I think of it this way all the time. And I, this is kind of my phrase in my, in my head is like, why are you happy that you're alive? Not as a general, like, oh, in my life, I'm happy because of the, I'm like, literally, why are you happy? Why does that matter to you? I, you know, my kids, a common thing that we talk about with kids is like, is what they're doing with their lives. And like, how does that make, like, what are, what was a specific instance where they were proud of them? Why does it like, why does that stand out to you? What about that is important to you? Well, it's probably tied very deeply to something they didn't know that they would get in their life, some sort of gratitude or happiness or something that that's just like, they honestly can't believe that their lives are this good. And, but if they don't think about it, if they don't, if someone doesn't kind of pause on that, it just gets swept in with all the rest of life and you're busy and your groceries and your, you know, it's the same thing with relationships, which I'm sure you and I could talk about for endless days is like, why are more relationships not deep and meaningful and impacting and like just sexually on fire? Well, it's probably not because those two people are incompatible as much as they, they're just distracted. They're busy. Yeah. You know, distracted. Yeah. That sums up a lot. Yeah. So going into it, understanding that this is the value that I offer to my clients is a huge deal. And it kind of motivates and drives all the pieces and parts that go into that. But having those pieces and parts where like, well, I really want them to connect. How are ways that I can use my photography and the, and the suggested ways that we kind of uh, run our sessions for them to do that, not just to get great pictures, but for them to connect. Because I think the connection is really what they care about. And the photos of the connection, not even necessarily like we love to cook together. Well, that doesn't mean we have to do photos of you cooking together. That could be part of it. But what is it about the cooking together that you like doing? If we can get to that, what you're going to do is you're going to connect more with those pieces of your life that you love. You're going to be more grateful of them. When we take the photos, you're going to be connecting those photos with that thing that you love or those things that you love about your life. And then when we create artwork from those photos that goes in your world in a big way, you're going to naturally repeat that cycle more often. You're going to be less distracted and more focused on the things you act, you actually care about, not me. Uh, this is, I mean, this is all, it, it, the funny thing is it's highly compelling and yet the concept itself is quite simple. The question is relatively that, simple. Yeah. yeah uh, the question that our listeners though might have is like, how did they get started? So just to finish this up here, it, talk to our listeners just for a couple of minutes about how some steps that they can actually take to get started in this approach to sales. Yeah. A asking questions of your clients is the, is the best way to get started because I think the neat thing with artists is they really, and especially photographers, they have this desire to help people and they love the way that the photography 
genre helps them do that. And I would say the majority of them got into it because of that love. They got into it because they realized how important the pieces that they helped do with people were, but they don't necessarily know how to do that in like a tactical way. So like asking questions helps them reconnect with why they love it, which helps them reconnect with their clients and their clients connect with their lives. So asking your clients questions that are focused on the stories. Hmm. So the, the stories are the parts. And if you ask people information, they'll tell you information like you're getting an interview. If you ask them to tell them stories about that. So you say, uh, for instance, one of the questions I like to ask is like, if you had to describe so Nate, if you had to describe Jill to me with three adjectives, just words that popped into your brain that kind of encompass who she is or the things that you love about her, what are some of, what are those three words? And I would let you tell those words. And then I would listen to how you said them hmm. and what you said about them. And then I would just pick one. Maybe it was the one that you paused on. Maybe it was the one you thought the most about. There's not necessarily a specific way to do that for me, but I just listen and I say, what is it about the way or when was it that Jill displayed this characteristic? Like, what were you doing? Where were you? Maybe you said patient. When was the last time that she was patient? What were you doing? And, and, and where did you see her doing that? Because then you start telling me a story about it. And then I, I just ask you more details. And then at some point, I'm going to get to the point where I say, why does that matter to you? Why do you care about that and how she displays that in her life? Because then I can say, that's pretty, that's pretty important, right? That's a pretty important part of your life. Yeah. Well, when we capture those parts of your life with her, where do you want to put those? Where do you want to put that in your world so that you have connection with it regularly? Where do you want to display that in your home so that when people come over, you can say, look, this is who we are. This is who I'm, who I'm in love with. These are the things that are important to us. How do you draw value from that for the rest of the time that you're alive? It's like a bank account. You know, how do you just keep cashing checks out of it? But it, all of this centers around asking questions. And, it, you know, it's a funny thing. Yeah. You and I have both heard photographers countless times over talk about how they're introverts. And, and to your earlier point, kind of use that as an excuse for not taking the steps necessary to develop relationships with their clients or potential clients right. that could turn into this very scene that you're describing. So for those photographers who are not comfortable um, initially comfortable with the idea of, of asking questions and kind of going deep. Where did you learn how to do this? I mean, outside of the fact that you're just, you're, you're a conversationalist. I'm sure it's re been refined over time, but sure. are there particular resources that they can reference? Well, I would say that um, Steve Saparito was probably the first person to introduce me to this idea. A lot of other people, I know Jesh DeRox does a lot of like um, his promptings. The way that he poses couples is based more around like who they are and how they love each other. But really any kind of any of the books or any of the resources that talk to you about like um, motivation or like uh, there's a book called Drive hmm. by Daniel Pink that's like seems like it wouldn't be about like this kind of stuff. But why do people do what they do? Why right. do people why are people willing to put $5,000 braces on somebody when they barely can pay their house payments or car payments? Well, because at some point I think they think maybe cognitively or maybe subconsciously they think their lives, their kids lives will be better. They'll be happier about the way that they look, which will probably influence their reactions or their life in some way. So that's, it's like, that's what drives it. So why do people do what they do um, kind of in that world? Any of those kind of thinkings? Yeah. I've mentioned before, Tony Robbins, Reawaken the Giant Within. He oh, talks yeah. about 
motivation quite a bit actually. Sure. And it's only about a hundred pages long. It's a free download. I'd recommend it for any and everyone who hasn't read it yet. Absolutely. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes actually for everybody yep. listening in at chat. I, I, we could probably keep going for another half hour, yeah, hour on this sure. stuff. This has been really helpful though. Very practical too. at the same time. Uh, for I think for everybody, there's something in this that we can all do personally and professionally that we can go take action on. And yeah. truly, I appreciate you making time to do this. I mean, it's good to to catch up a little bit, but also yeah, be able to share great. some of our conversation with our listeners. Just briefly, sure. real quick, before we sign off, if you'll share with our listeners where they can follow you, find out what you're doing online, that'd be great. Yeah, I would love to. I mean, we we teach this whole system. It's And part of the reason we developed the system was because we want to help enable people to live the lives that they want and artists to really do what they're best at and not having permission or not have a, having a pathway really limits that action. So that's what our whole, the whole focus of our coaching program. Um, but Megan and I run that, uh, it's called wealthy photographer. You can just either search on Facebook, wealthy photographer, or you can connect with me on, um, Instagram at de Blasio photo, D I B L A S I O photo. Um, or shoot me an email at chat at de Blasio photo.com. Um, it's, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm this person in normal life. And so any of those normal ways that you want to reach out to me, like I'm, you know, even though we are busy, 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 that's, I'm very, it's, it's very important to me to be personal with people. So shoot me a message and just say, Hey, shoot me your questions and we can kind of direct from there. Awesome. We'll put all the resources we referenced in the show notes. For those of you listening in, go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, or you can see the show notes in the podcast app that you may be using to listen to this. Thanks everybody for listening in. And thanks again to Chad for hanging out with us today. Hey, I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.